0: The book of Exodus tells the story of Moses' birth in Egypt and how God caused him to be rescued from the Nile as a newborn baby by Pharaoh's daughter and brought up as her own son. The sacred text goes on to describe how the divine providence so arranged things that Moses had to flee from Egypt into the desert, that Moses, in preparation for his role in freeing the people of Israel from bondage, and welding them into a nation. The Second Vatican Council teaches that God, who has fatherly concern for everyone, has willed that all men should constitute one family and that and treat one another in a spirit of brotherhood. In His providence, God takes into consideration our social nature so that in his redemptive plan, the body of Christ, the Church forms a society, the people of God. At a purely natural level, the individual is in no way isolated from life in community. Every human being is born into a family and we absorb from our surroundings all the culture and traditions that make for spiritual growth and perfection. We owe a great deal, therefore, to society, <clears throat> and in particular to our country. And we are naturally obliged to be grateful and ought to love our country and hold it in high regard. But for a Christian patriotism, for a Christian patriotism must be animated by charity, so nationalism. Our Father said, "Is a sin, it's a lack of justice towards other nations. And what about love for one's country? That's a virtue, a Christian virtue. And I bless it with both hands. It's important to distinguish well between the two. In order to save a soul, I would be willing to take any nationality, whatever, And yet, I want to allow anyone to claim they love my country. I I won't allow anyone to claim that they love their country more than I love mine. Can you see the difference between love of one's country, which is a noble sentiment, and nationalism? Nationalism is is displeasing in the eyes of God because it makes us sin against our duties towards other nations. It is the height of folly and always ends up doing harm to the church. The church therefore teaches that citizens must cultivate a generous and loyal spirit of patriotism but being without narrow-mindedness. This means that they will always direct their attention to the good of the whole human family, united by the different ties which bind other races, peoples, and nations. Today, we celebrate the founding of the United States And unlike most historic peoples, unlike most historic peoples, America as a nation began on a definite date, the 4th of July, 1776. The period of the origin of the country can be taken from the time of the Declaration of Independence of 1776 to the inauguration of Washington under the new constitution as the origin time of the American nation. America began as a result of of a series of conscious decisions American society had been radically and thoroughly transformed over 150 years from the arrival of the colonists in Jamestown and the development of the country from there. There was work, there was prayer, there was uh, the Protestant Christianity, sacramental in baptism, and so there was a growth of a consciousness of America as a people, as Christian, with relationships to each other, with a spirit of work spirit of solidarity. <clears throat> the American society had been radically and thoroughly transformed, however, by the American Revolution. One class did not overthrow another. The poor did not supplant the rich. Social relationships, the way people were connected one to another, were changed and decidedly so. By the early years of the 19th century, the revolution had created a society fundamentally different from the colonial society of the 18th century. It is, in fact, a new society unlike any that had ever existed anywhere in the world. That revolution of 1776 did, not, did more than legally create and I take this from, uh, from that American historian, Gordon Wood. That revolution did more than legally create the United States, it transformed American society because the story of America has turned out the way it has, because the United States in the 20th century has become the great power that it is, it's, it's difficult, if not impossible, to appreciate and recover fully the significant and the sig- insignificant and puny origins of the country. In 1760, America was only a collection of disparate colonies huddled along a narrow strip of the Atlantic coast, economically underdeveloped, outposts existing on on the very edges of the civilized world. The less than two million monarchical subjects who lived in these colonies still took for granted that society was and ought to be a hierarchy of ranks and and degrees of of dependency, and that most people were bound together by personal ties of one sort or another. Yet scarcely 50 years from the date of 1776, these insignificant borderland provinces became a giant almost continent-wide republic of nearly 10 million egalitarian-minded bustling citizens who not only had thrust themselves into the vanguard of history but had fundamentally altered their society and had their social re- and their social relationships far from remaining monarchical hierarchy-ridden subjects on the margin of civilization Americans have become, almost overnight, the most liberal, the most democratic, the most commercially minded, and the most modern people in the world. And this astonishing transformation took place within, without industrialization, without urbanization without railroads, without the aid of any of the great forces we usually invoke to explain modernization. It was the revolution that was crucial to this transformation. It was the revolution more than any other single event that made America into the most liberal, democratic, and modern nation of the world. The American Revolution was not unique It was only different because of this shared Western-wide experience in democratization. It has been argued by more than one historian that the broader social transformation that carried America, Americans from one century to another and one kind of society to another was inevitable. They said it was inevitable and would have been completed with or without the American revolution. But this historian, Wood, says the revolution and the social transformation were, in fact, linked together. The American Revolution was integral to the changes occurring in American society, politics, culture, at the end of the 18th century. These changes were radical and were extensive. The revolution made possible the anti-slavery, women's rights, the of the as movements of the 19th century, and in fact, all our current egalitarian thinking. The revolution not only radically changed the person and social relationships of people, including the position of women, but also destroyed aristocracy, as it had been understood in the Western world for at least two millennia. The revolution brought respectability and even dominance to ordinary people long held in contempt and gave dignity to their menial labor in a manner unprecedented in history. Ordinary work, ordinary people, ordinary citizens. which is precisely the warp and the woof of the spirit of Opus Dei that our father had seen so congenial, the United States and the culture of the United States being so congenial to the ordinariness uh, of the spirit that was given to him in founding Opus Dei. Great things expected from us. So therefore, what we celebrate today is this revolution, is the establishment of the United States as a, kind, as a body politic that is unique in the world, unique in the history of the world. And so on the occasion of what we celebrate today and the fireworks and the hoopla that may, may may take place, I doubt it much, but the conclusion was the Declaration of Independence. which in all its beauty and as Chesterton says is a religious creed, that we hold these truths. Notice that this wasn't a bunch of crazy guys going out with guns and shooting people up. That we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. This is a divine revelation. Because men uh, in the empirical reality are not equal. So we hold these truths to be so that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator in the very declaration that God is at the root and founding of this country. And without God, the country cannot be understood. And these are endowed with inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted, they don't precede, they're instituted in order to protect and develop those rights that come to men through these, at least came here, after 150 years of an intense national life with God at the center and work and a commitment to each other. So that the governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. because at the root here is the dignity of the human person who has, t- who has lived and experienced his dignity and therefore taken those rights into his own hands and overthrown the greatest power really an extent in the world at the, that time. I mean, the British Navy was something to behold as they describe it. The the ships coming from Boston, coming up the Hudson River to take New York was something to behold. And yet we won. And so the government, the 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 revolution, and the experience, and the the spirit, the hidden spiritual um, sources of of the of, of the country, have to be protected. And we have protected them, at least in the beginnings. Now, with the, uh, the repeal of Roe v. Wade, which is so devastating. Uh, and it's rude against the dignity of the person, and therefore the very reality of the United States as a country, and all countries. And so it's 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 a it's a it's a it's, a, it's an important feast, and as Chesterton says, it's a religious feast. We therefore, they conclude, therefore the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress assembled appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions do in the name and by authority of the good people of these colonies solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free, independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown, and that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved, and that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, and our sacred honor and then kind of wonderfully you have the not some anonymous band taking over for their own pleasure and mischief but responsible citizens and persons as the grounding of this country so they they give you the names, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Harrison, Thomas Nelson, Francis Lightfoot Lee, Carter Braxton, we're not going to do it all of course, but Robert Morris, Morristown, Benjamin Rush, uh, whose relative is a supernumerary. Benjamin Franklin, John Morton, George Clymer, James Smith, George Taylor, James Wilson, George Ross, John Witherspoon, Francis Hopkins. And so these men freely and responsibly uh, and, of course, risked their necks to uh, to pen, put their names to a declaration such as that when the, 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 war, the war had to be won. And if it wasn't won, that was their neck. That was their head. And so the, the country began thus. And it will continue thus only if we will have that same spirit of a spirit of Jesus Christ at the, at the, as the very meaning of the human person and the freedom of the human person being the freedom of Jesus Christ. And that freedom consisting in a giving of the self and a support of the others. And so in the meditation, meditations this morning, in the words, words of our father talking about the secularism and talking about the patriotism, and he says, politics in the best sense of the term is nothing other than the attempt to achieve the common good of the earthly city. This good has extremely wide-ranging repercussions in the political forum, debates take place and laws of the greatest importance are passed on issues such as marriage, the family, education, private property, the dignity of the human person, the rights and duties of citizens. All these matters and others besides are of prime interest to religion and no apostle can remain indifferent and uncommitted in their regard. We're obliged, then, the text says, to work for the good of the national community to which we belong. Frequently, indeed, one comes across apparently responsible and devout Catholics who think that they are only obliged to fulfill their family and religious duties and who don't want to hear anything about civic duties. It's not a question of selfishness, but simply a lack of formation. No one who has ever told them clearly has ever told them that the virtue of piety, which is part of the cardinal virtue of justice and the sense of Christian solidarity are expressed by being involved in, by being informed about, and contributing to solve the problems affecting the whole community. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. We should be concerned constantly about how to fulfill this obligation and get others to see it as part of the Gospel message. The Second Vatican Council teaches, quote, in loyalty to their country and in faithful fulfillment of their civic obligations. Catholics should feel themselves obliged to promote the true common good. Thus, they should make the weight of their opinion felt in order that the civil authority may act with justice and that legislation may conform to moral precepts and the common good. The virtue of justice then obliges us to have certain standards in this area in accordance with other circumstances. It would be unreasonable, our father says, to expect everybody to get professionally involved in politics, but it is certainly both possible and desirable in present-day circumstances to have a basic level of awareness of the specific issues affecting the common good of the society in which one lives. What is involved, therefore, is a right which is also a duty, something that requires proper preparation and a sense of responsibility. Great care must be taken about civic and political formation which is of the utmost necessity today for the population as a whole and especially for youth and to all citizens that can play their part in the life of the political community. The work, he said, has no political agenda, it's not its purpose. Our purpose is exclusively spiritual and apostolic and carries a divine stamp. Love for the freedom of Christ, or rather, love for for the freedom that Christ has won for us by dying on the cross. The freedom of self-determination so that we can make the gift, which is citizenship, responsible citizenship. (laughs) For our supernatural family, it is not only praiseworthy, but absolutely necessary to keep out of the bickering which poisons political life for the simple reason that the objectives of the work, let me repeat, are not political but apostolic. And then of course the wonder, the absolute wonder of the spirit of the work with regard to secularity that is precisely by precisely by our involvement in the world that we master ourselves and we experience freedom, the freedom of self-determination, so as to be able to make the gift. And the, the giving of the gift, the giving of the self is precisely the meaning of freedom. It's not just choice, it's actually handing oneself over, squandering self for the other is the meaning of freedom. And so the secularity of the work, this takes place precisely by involvement in the world where one has to make the choice of self-determination this way or that, and gift of self this way or that. And it's there that sanctity, that Jesus Christ in us is developed. so it's not a case of being more and more spiritual. It's a case of being more and more involved precisely in the world. The deeper in it, the better. Because the supernatural life is precisely this relationship of father, son, and spirit that we're able to achieve as sons and daughters on the occasion of work and responsibility to the others. So the Blessed Virgin Mary has a place in her heart for us all. May she who aided the beginning of the Church by her prayers, now intercede before her Son in the fellowship of all the saints, unite all families of people, whether honored with the title of Christian or whether or not, may be happily gathered together in peace and harmony, justice, into one people of God for the glory of the most holy and undivided Trinity.